Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. 16 years now, Bruce, coming up on 16 years of doing that website, just to let you know. 16 years. I didn't know I've wasted had... 16 years. <laughs> Was the internet invented back then? Yeah, back in the Stone Age. Uh, since Bruce has already piped in, I'll reintroduce him. It's Bruce Aldrich, my friend and the co-host um, of our podcast. We're on 155 episodes now, a little bit more than three years. And sometimes like we do, we there's just a lot going on in the automotive world and the news. So Rather than have a guest uh, on uh, this week, we're just going to talk about some topics in the news all over the map. We I think we have five or six to go through. Uh, and through our time with our podcast, we've interviewed a number of authors, and sometimes the public relations people are nice enough to forward uh, a sample of the book uh, in the mail or the product. And uh, this time it's a book. I got it a couple of weeks ago, and um, it is a gentleman who's undertaken the the book. It's a coffee table book, and it probably weighs 10 pounds. Uh, it's at home, and it's um, this. The gentleman's name is um, Mike Mueller, and he has written uh, the complete book of Corvette. Uh, and to discuss, you know, basically it's America's car, and he takes us through um, the 1960s Stingray, the late 50s models, the 70s bottle uh, body changes in the body style. Uh, covering 60 years of the Corvette history, and the book is uh, created in, in uh, cooperation with General Motors and illustrated with 500 color and black and white photos from GM's exclusive design and media archives. And the book uh, highlights the development, tech specs, and visual prowess from the entire Corvette lineup, um, from the first uh, 1953 vet to the brand new 2014 Corvette Stingray. Uh, so this guy, Bruce, has undertaken, uh, these guys just must have really a lot of passion to, to cover 60 years of a car that it would be impossible to cover everything, but he's done so. I haven't seen the book. I know there's a lot of vet books out there, so a lot yeah. of coffee table books. So I hope it's a good one. Yeah. Remember, we did a, a podcast a while back and we talked about this guy who was going to have, they were doing, uh, was it restoring and giving away one Corvette. They had one of every year ever made, and they had a, the great photo of a long procession of them in line from '53 to, I think it was 2018 at the time or 19. But um, that said, what what is it about the Corvette, in your opinion, that has made it America's car? Is it because it's been an Indy Pace car for so many years, or is it because they had so many different variants and styles? What what is it about the Corvette that makes it special? The looks. Yeah. Lack of competition, mm -hmm. performance for the dollar. Okay. Uh, those would be the three main things. They certainly have a good marketing arm there at uh, Chevrolet. Yeah. And if you were going to have, if you were going to get a Corvette, if you had, uh, you could pick one or two, three different years, would you pick all the, the great looking vintage Corvettes or do you think you would get one of the modern ones as well? I'd get both. I'd get all. You get all? <laughs> and money's no object. I'd take a 69. Yeah, vet, and I would love to. I'm one vet I have not been in or driven is the the new uh, rear engine vet. Yes, that intrigues me. I would really like to. I'll I'll get that one too. We had we had a mutual friend who's uh, passed now, but Greg uh, Soderlund, our our good friend, had 
you know, finally got the car he wanted and got a vet. And uh, I was only in it once, but it was very noisy and there was less space in it than some of the cars that you and I have reviewed through the years. It just didn't, it didn't grab me, but it, I know it grabs a lot of people. Um, well, they weren't known for their great build quality and no. their uh, vibration and harshness standard. They they are noisy and rattly, yeah. but uh, some people if love you're, that. If you're into the vet, um, you know that's that's part of the allure. Part you like the, that, you you know it's not a negative. Yes, and did they did the vet have in the early days? Um, did they have the gold wing as well? Did they have some of those unusual doors, or is that only Mercedes? Do you remember that? Just Mercedes. Just Mercedes. Uh, well, there's been other manufacturers, but yeah, including you know the Tesla right now on their, that's right uh, their SUV. All right. So this guy, uh, Mike Muller, I can't imagine uh, if we have a chance to talk to him down the road, so to speak. That the the process of writing a book that incorporates 60 years of an automobile with um, you know, from, from the racing aspect to the people who collect them to values up and down. And, and they had some years where the vets just weren't seen in very good light. For, by I mean, they, they kind of lost their luster, I think. Oh, for, they for, lost for, their luster in the yeah, so-called times. malaise years. Yeah. Like 74 to 77. Certainly those years, oh, they were, they were dogs. Yeah, now the last couple of years when they put one out, it makes a big stink now. They're back in the, the high. Oh, they're back in, back, back in into now. it. That new rear-motored car is something else. That got a lot of publicity. So um, the, this coffee table book uh, we can recommend. It's um, the complete book of Corvette again. And, um, you know, it's at your typical uh, booksellers, Amazon, and so forth. But be prepared. It's, it's all comprehensive, and if it, goes on the coffee table at your house. I hope it's a strong coffee table because it's a thick, heavy book. And I think it's um, $39.95. Uh, and uh, good for Mike. I mean, I don't know. We don't know Mike, but I respect anybody who takes on a project. Um, the research and the time-consuming nature of writing a book like that just must be, I mean, how many photos did he have to go through to get the 500 that he used or the editor used? Yeah, we've reviewed uh, uh, a lot of books yeah. lately. Uh, Barn Finds, yes. uh, Muscle Cars, Bronco, the Volkswagen, Jeep, the lately the Volkswagen. Yeah, yep. And uh, so it's it's quite a process. So um, anyway, check out this uh, new Corvette coffee table book, as I mentioned. Um, okay. Also, next um, every few months, maybe maybe not every few months, but at least a couple of times a year. Another company, whether it's uh, Bugatti or it's, uh, let's see, Lamborghini, Hennessy, Koenigsegg, uh, they all try to go after this speed record. And lo and behold, last week, just a few days ago, I guess it is, um, this uh, SSC is the, the first car to, uh, on October 10th, so that was recently, it um, passed the elusive, as it's, I'm reading this press release, passed the elusive 300-mile barrier. And just kept it going. The Tutara averaged an incredible 316 miles per hour on its official two-way run, hitting the mind-blowing 331 miles per hour on the return leg and forever cementing its place in automotive history. So, Bruce, um, what, do you, what do you make of, uh, of this? I mean, in the last 25 years, this record must have been broken 10 times. Bugatti does it. Hennessy does it, as we said. 
So uh, these are guys who do this, and I think it must be their passion. That, that it doesn't pertain to you and me as as daily drivers. It's not that important, but I guess it is important for the performance of a manufacturer saying we have the fastest car. Well, the whole inspiration behind these niche cars are the performance numbers. So yes. you got to go out there and push the envelope and make some good performance numbers, right? If yeah. you want to be a top dog. I think it's a good. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it I keeps, mean, it takes a lot. Engineers work hard to get get a car that's stable, safe enough to drive fast. Well, how fast is fast enough? That's right. How fast is fast enough? I, I read about the guy who was uh, driving the car. Um, he's a professional driver. Um, I'm trying to get through the area where they talks to this guy, but um, I'm just going to read a little bit. It said, in order to properly capture footage of the Tutaras historic run, SSC employed help from an aerial team consisting of a subsonic T-33 jet, helicopter, and drone. Nothing on the company's YouTube or other social media channels yet, but will show what could be an amazing uh, footage once it's released. So, I mean, the guy, they, they, they had this all set up with all kinds of cameras, obviously. And uh, let's see, it says, um, SSC describes the following world record regulations down to the smallest footnote, having officials on hand to verify everything, including reviewing the Dutron GPS measurements that track the speed runs using an average of 15 satellites. Rules dictate that the Tutara uh, be a production car identical to the version available to customers. I didn't know that. Perform the run on a public road, run street tires and non-race fuel, and have two world record sanctioned witnesses on hand to verify the certified GPS track time. That's a lot of work <laughs> to get that Yeah, done. it is, but you just answered your own question of why. Look, yes. at, look at the marketing ploy this is going to be. It's going to take them a while to... Uh for the film crew to get this, uh, although they're working hard to get this uh, this film, this short documentary out. But boy, that's a that's a good marketing piece for your car. Do you imagine if you're sitting around and down at the Quail Lodge or something yeah. at uh, Monterey, and mm -hmm. hey, this is the fastest car, 316 miles an hour, and the other cars are sitting around, whatever they are, Bugattis. Uh, yeah. They're second, yeah, second. it's just like, oh, well. Yeah, it used to be a good car. Yeah. <laughs> this is the top dog here. I, I think it's impressive, just like 0 to 60 times. So like the Bugatti, uh, how do you say it, Chiron, Chiron, Chiron? Do they, do they make, um, I don't know, 100 of these, 200 of these a year? I, I don't know. Small part of The one that just, the SSC? Yeah. Oh, probably less than that. Probably less than that, yeah. So just like the other cars, they come out, they're sold before they're available. They're, yeah. They're yeah, it's, it, you're right. It's not going to affect us. No, it's not going to affect <laughs> but, us. But uh, it's good to read but about. When you go to a car show, it does affect you. You go, wow, right? Yes. I think it's I, it's interesting. So we'll see that I mean, all, all the Bugatti engineers and the Hennessy engineers are all having these power They're going, things. they're back to the drawing board. Back Absolutely. to the drawing board. Think big think tanks and how are we going to get this guy? They, they exceeded the 300-mile barrier and I don't know. I can't imagine. Well... You've been in a, you've been in what one uh, on, on a racetrack at one or your wife's been on a racetrack at what one fifty one sixty yeah okay and so I've been me too yeah you too and I've been on the highway at in France at maybe just one ten uh, and in a regular streetcar and I was you know following a little Renault a little Renault or a, something and Four I was following everybody else and, and the whole you know 
the whole the uh, speed, the average speed of traffic was 100, and so uh, going 110 or 115, I think once was pretty scary. And I did the same thing in a Rolls Royce once in the Arizona desert, but never been 150 like you guys have, and certainly double that must just be. I don't know how people do it. This was on a closed course that I yes. did that, yeah. James. That, I, yeah. I was safe. Yeah, Unlike you were safe. You. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I guess I was just trying to compare it to what, as a regular driver, uh, going over 100, I think, for most people is, is about the limit of most people could go 100. And, and that's probably... That's probably it. That They shouldn't go faster. No, they shouldn't. So uh, that was that. Well, we'll see what happens with uh, Bugatti and Hennessy and... Who what's the other car that we the Pug, Pug, Pugani? Are they into speed records or Pagani? Or is Pugan, it? Pagani? Pagani. Yeah. I don't know if they're into speed records or not, but um, so that's that. But uh, uh, third, I think um, what's happening as more pickup trucks sell and RVs sell. This is like the the slow speed record. The now. slow speed record now. The the word came out the other day that the big three. Uh, Chevy, Ford, and Ram are trying to outdo each other with their towing capacities. And so now um, the Chevy 3500 is going to have a 36,000-pound towing capacity with all these extra things that you can get on it. And um, now the the Chevy came out with this. Ford's going to come out with this. With this towing package, Ram's going to have this. And they're all vying tow more because of the increase in in sales of of rvs and motorhomes and um it's the, just a stat it's just, just like zero yeah. to 60 time that doesn't That's mean right. you have to tow thirty six thousand no, pounds no. but it shows you the capability it's so. a it's a boast it's a boasting of a, what we can do yep and so on that we we uh, i posted it to um <clears throat> i also contribute to this site rv travel dot com a friend longtime friend has that site and i've been doing uh, truck-related content lately, and I posted it on my site, and uh, a man emailed who was flabbergasted that a truck would ever be able to tow 36,000 pounds, and he sent uh, an article about his um, experiences in which he said, at one point, I tow a 17,000-pound fifth wheel with disc brakes. If it weren't for the trailer having disc brakes, there's no way I could have stopped my rig in under a half a mile. Uh, and so he's going on and talking about his experiences and that he thinks, um, I can't imagine 36,000 pounds. What would a person do without good trailer brakes? Besides that, my 2017 Chevy doesn't have the horsepower to really pull my trailer up Interstate 80 or I-5 summits. It slows down to 40 miles per hour with the throttle wide open and I get four point miles per gallon. So... I like the fact that this guy read which my column, which is always compliment, and they took the time to write. But it sounds like this guy was maybe venting because he doesn't he doesn't have the power to tow his I, own I stuff. I think he's mad that he's got a 2017 instead of a 2021. <laughs> there you go. So what did you what did you make of this, guys? Um, both of my trucks have 3.73. Gear ratios, Duramax with six SP Allison transmissions. I, I'm that, that that part loses me. So, what do you think this guy was all about writing this letter? <clears throat> well, I think the guy was he had a 2500 series truck, his two trucks, correct? Yes. So, we're we're talking the 3500, which has a higher towing capacity. Yes. So it's not the same truck as we're talking here. Uh, plus, you have to get it specially 
specially ordered to make that 36,000 pounds yes. towing capacity. You have to get the right gears. You got to get the right motor. I think mm-hmm. top motors on all three brands, they have to be the, the their diesels, which yes. maybe this guy did have a diesel, but there's different size diesels. Yes. Um, so he doesn't have, with the, the gears he has, they aren't the lowest gears that would allow you to pull the maximum weight. So... I think he drives a little fast. Yeah, I think he yeah. doesn't look ahead. Yes. I think he mentions twice that he had to make panic breaks, mm-hmm. braking. You're right. So it's, uh, it's usually I can't remember the last time I did a panic brake, but I bet it's been many, many years, and it certainly wasn't hauling a heavy trailer. So no, maybe this guy ought to <laughs> leave a little space between vehicles and slow down. Yeah, he he's says, not going to uh, handle like a Corvette. No, he says. Uh, 36,000 pounds, question mark. The people at GM must want a death wish for their customers. Well, maybe he just hasn't come around to what the newest of the newest vehicles are capable of. Is that fair? Uh, That's part of it. Yeah. Properly outfitted. But also, yeah, I'm sure the numbers are a little optimistic. Mm -hmm. Nobody regulates those. No. They and do what they want with those numbers, but they ought to be halfway close because you know the um, attorneys, the uh, yes lawyers are going to be all over that if somebody gets in a bad accident yes. and can pin it on Ford, Dodge, or Chevy. Right. One of the things I've learned uh, trying to get some knowledge, the, the more I contribute to, to RV travel about trucks and other things, is that people are really particular about the details of how they're towing vehicles or how their vehicles are being towed um uh you know four down and other kinds of towing um there's towing capacity tow there's, com- yeah. there's a load level load there's level all that gross stuff vehicle weight there's at least three major <clears throat> numbers that you got to be within to be safe right um and you still have to slow down and drive carefully you're not gonna it's not gonna handle like a sports car no when no. you're fully laden yeah, I think, and I th- so I think also that um, even when some cars are, what's the word, dinghy towable, that some people still won't do it. I mean, technically they can be, but some people just won't do it. They they don't like the fact that their car that they have is going to be towed behind. They just they don't do it, whether the, the manufacturer says it's legal or not. They just don't they don't do it. Well, that's yeah. that's safe to say. That's yeah, safe. To, yeah, I, a little. Short wheelbase car like a Jeep might have who knows. I don't. I haven't looked at the numbers yeah. on those, but it might have say a three thousand pound towing capacity. Well, right. do you want to pull something behind a little short wheelbase no. car? No, it's not going to be safe. Not not going to be safe. No. Um, so we'll we'll keep an eye on the um, the big three. I think by the way, um, for the first time in a long time this year, the uh, Chevy Silverado is outselling the Ford F one fifty. Which is, you know, hasn't hasn't been done for ever and ever. It's been and ever. close. It's been close forever and ever, but they finally surpassed. Finally huh? surpassed in in recent months, which is is interesting again because of the the decrease in sedan sales and the vast increase of SUVs and pickup trucks just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I think combined, it's like three quarters of the vehicles are either SUVs or trucks now. Truck guys aren't taken to that uh, aluminum bodied Ford, huh? guess not um so there's that and then uh 
complete other side of the spectrum. We we got I got word and and uh, maybe Bruce did too about um, we've we've been talking uh, as a lot, a lot of other people have the last five years, let's say, about just where the autonomous autonomous vehicle industry is and and. Um, Five years ago, they thought they were going to have yeah. it out four years ago, right? That's right. It was going to be a done deal. <laughs> done this deal. Is, this is simple. The new tech guys could handle this. Right. Never Didn't happened. Happen. They had that one, the accident in Arizona, right? Put That put them back. Put them back quite a bit. And now uh, in San Francisco, of all places, where I was recently in, and uh, you know just visiting for half a day, and I, it was a reminder just how hilly some of those streets are in San Francisco, uh, their General Motors has announced its autonomous vehicles will be rolling down San Francisco streets as soon as the end of this year. The company's self-driving vehicle division, Cruise, received permit from the DMV, allowing it to test five driverless vehicles. The vehicles will be limited to spe- specified streets with speed limits not exceeding 30 miles per hour. They can be tested any time of the day, but not during heavy fog or heavy rain. And then it says, Cruise is the fifth company to receive, a dri- to receive driverless testing permits from the DMV. The company reached the point where it's confident that uh, it can safely operate without humans in the car, said the company spokesperson. Cruise plans to go neighborhood to neighborhood in San Francisco, launching the driverless vehicles slowly before spreading to the entire city. So, what do you make of that? It's not safe for humans to drive in that town. I don't Mm-mm. know. <laughs> maybe maybe they'll be better. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it just seems Sounds like, pretty crazy to me. It does sound crazy. And the first time, what are the possibilities? The, 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 I, 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 I think the locals are going to gang up on that car and, <laughs> and pester it. Yeah. It's going to drive back to Santa Clara or wherever it came from. So, the first time... Not wishing ill will on anybody. The first time something even minor goes wrong, the car goes through a red light, or I, I, I don't know. And but nobody's hurt, but it's noticed and it's filmed. That'll put the kibosh on that, right? The first time something happens, it's it's done for another year. It could be. I, I just wonder if there's a human uh, vehicle following the unhuman car. Yeah, to film every to step film of the way. And, yeah. and see what's happening, and if people are pestering it or trying to make it. Mess up. And so uh, using my example of being with my family the other day and walking around San Francisco for an hour and observing people driving up and down very steep. Where we were was at the University of California, San Francisco Hospital. And those are some of the hilliest parts of San Francisco. And just walking around, seeing people in manual transmission cars really struggling if they're the third car on the hill, uh, having to use that clutch so they're not going to back into the f- person who's fourth on that hill. And even people who had uh, automatic transmissions, I'm just going to say it, particularly older, not so comfortable drivers in San Francisco struggling with automatic transmissions. I, I did okay, but it was it was a new territory for me for a while. And so here you are in, in regular cars, regular traditional cars, I should say, and now, what if you're a pedestrian? What if, what if you're in a passenger? What if you're in a car that has drivers and passengers in it, and you see an autonomous vehicle? Is that going to be a detriment? Like, what? You what the hell? Make eye contact. You got to make eye contact. So, what the hell is that? Then, you, then you get in an accident looking at a car that doesn't have anybody driving it. I, I think it's a recipe for a complete disaster. 
But that is funny. Would you put a dummy behind the wheel? There you go. Put it like all the rest of them. So there, so there's not. A, yeah. So it doesn't cause more accidents because there's nobody driving a car that's going down the street. I guess we'll be able to find out if uh, autonomous cars have feelings. Because I, <laughs> I still think people are going to pester those things. Yeah, I make I, them freeze there forever or not get out of the way. I have a few nameless friends who think it's going to be the best thing ever. Autonomous vehicles. That it'll it'll uh, be great for. It'll get rid of bad drivers uh, and the, the the robot, <clears throat> the computer, smarter than the human. And that. And I just, uh, I I have to really be won over. I think like you do. I just don't see it. I just do not see it at all. But well, it'll be interesting to follow this and and see how it goes. Yeah, and they chose San Francisco, right? Yeah. Like I said, it isn't like you're in the uh, Utah desert where it's pretty wide open. It should be Mayberry. It should be Mayberry. Where, where kids won't throw things at it. And- <laughs> Throw stuff in the street for it to run over. And you can whistle while you're going f- with the fishing pole with uh, exactly. Andy, and then you see an autonomous vehicle going by. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Hang stuff off the back as it drives <laughs> that's, by. That's right. Um, let's see. And, and lastly, uh, I guess we kind of in the same area of the automobile exp- uh, industry just expanding, we have um, this Hercules Electric Mobility Incorporated in Detroit is a manufacturer of the upcoming line of luxury eco-utility products. Today it has assigned a partnership deal with Toronto-based Wood Sport Limited for the Teravis. Is that how you say Teravis? 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 Tonio cover. I thought it was the Alpha. You're Uh, talking about the tonneau cover? Yeah. The the Teravis tonneau cover, solar cover, charging system. For the Alpha, Hercules Alpha. Yeah, for the Hercules Alpha. So... But it does say at the bottom of this release, um, scrolling down, Hercules Alpha, but it says um, the um, work sports truck bed covers are available for a number of light trucks, including the Ford F-150, Ford F-Series, Chevrolet Sierra, and Silverado, GMC Canyon, and Ram. So they can be configured for other vehicles too, right? Right. So anyway, what this is, yes, please. We're we're talking about the Hercules Alpha. It's a new electric vehicle. It's not on the market yet, but they're taking reservations. Thousand horsepower, three hundred mile range, zero to sixty four seconds. Blah blah blah. You know, best truck in the world. They're taking reservations for right now, but they've teamed up with this uh, bed cover company to provide uh, solar panels, and so it can charge the truck. All the time, whenever it's out in the sun, or, or a thousand is, cell phones, if you want to put it in the back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. So, it, you know, it's a great idea. Um, they said it's like a level one charger, which is like one ten house current. Right. So overnight. Yeah, eight hours, uh, whatever it is. You know, <clears throat> it's, it's going to keep the battery kind of up, I guess, if you're not using it much. It's not going to charge. You, you're always going to have to plug it in. You're not yes. going to be able to just use that bed cover. But it's it's kind of interesting. The people who are uh, believers and uh, subscribers to solar energy for their homes, right? They're going to be all over this. They think it's just another, and I'm not saying that it isn't, but it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's common sense. It makes sense. And I'm surprised that people who are innovative didn't come up with it earlier, actually. But I think you hit the, you hit the, the problem is that it isn't like wanting to go from here, Sacramento to LA and stopping for an hour for lunch and you'll be back in business. It's, it's level one. Like you said, it takes a long time. Right. So, so if you don't drive very often and it's always parked outdoors, it'll, it'll keep it 
charged up, I suppose. And mm-hmm. if you only drive five miles to work, and it sits there in a sunny parking lot for nine hours. Perfect. Drive five miles home. Maybe you don't ever have to go to a charger. Right. Do you think it has a, a chance to catch on? Do you think it'll be good? Oh, I think it'll, yeah. Okay. And um, solar panels aren't going to get better, so. Right. And so then maybe it's it's level one. But I don't know the price either. I don't know the is price. It, is, it, is it worth it? You know, is it worth four grand for a solar bed cover? It'll take you a long time to recoup that that expenditure. I think you have to be a person who understands or has had good experience with your solar energy in other areas to say that's a natural. I'm going for that too. I don't. I don't know if people who are just have a regular pickup trucks would say, "God, what a great idea! I'm jumping over to that and I'm going to get one of those." I think it's a, probably going to be a long, um, just like EVs and hybrids. It takes takes a long time to win over people who don't want to change their their ways or aren't interested they have to have some good marketing and you know yeah just like buying an electric car right now that's they're, right they're kind of niche <clears throat> expensive luxuries that's right well i i think that's uh and then we we'll just covered the news today which is there's always you know things to cover and one other thing yes please bruce the launch of the new gmc um what's it called oh. the uh, the hummer truck the hummer ev yeah, that's interesting. And that Man. actually has the same about specifications as the Hercules Alpha. Right. 1,000 horsepower, 0 to 60. This one they claim three seconds. So yes. now you're talking about a performance car in a truck. And it's sold out before it's available. I yep, should, I, it already sold out. One day. One day. So who well, bought... sold out. They took all the reservations they're going to take. And who... who um, $113,000... It says list price. So, right. Who's buying the car? I'm not not not. I'm not being um, um, argumentative, but what is the what people is the demographics? Wait, people uh, tired of waiting for the uh, Tesla truck, Tes- I guess. Tesla or the or the Rivian or the. I think it's just people like uh, it's like a Raptor type truck. You want to pay probably end up being almost double the price of a Raptor because you want one before the other guy has one. That and yeah. You have the money to spend, and so it's uh, it's out there, and I'm going to do it. And uh, and maybe they had a doesn't have to make sense. Maybe they had the Hummer, another version of the Hummer before, and now they're going to get this one. Sure. It's like once you have a Tesla, if you got a Tesla in 2008, you probably have gone through two or three other ones since then, right? Could be. Yes, yeah. many people have. Many people have. So, well, they um, got a new Tesla out too, a Plaid version, faster than ludicrous. Faster than ludicrous. Well, you got a faster, bigger, stronger, tougher, more testosterone, you know, whatever. I think they're saying <clears throat> zero to 60 in two seconds. Yeah. Mr. Musk smoking so, a lot of dope these days. So, and so, <laughs> Zero to 60, man. It's, it's, it's the revolution. This is, this is the time. This is the time. Well, um, I'm sure I, I'm sad that we missed, uh, like other people, that, were, that the um, L.A. Auto Show is postponed till next May because... All of this stuff would have been there. I mean, there's oh, just yeah. so much going on. And and hopefully, um, for many reasons, of course, we hope that um, we'll have the new the new normal uh, in the automotive space next May. We, we can see all these things in Los Angeles again that time around. So, um, At least at L.A., you have to have a mock-up or a mule or something there to, to show people. Right. Since the show, there aren't any shows, I mean, you can make press releases all day long with anything you want on Yeah, them. show me the goods. Yeah, show <laughs> me the money. Yeah, that's right. 
Well, we have something to look, uh, plenty of things to look forward to, but that's one more of them of uh, next May when, uh, if if in fact we're, you know, back in the right direction of all the things that are happening in the world, and we'll leave it at that. Um, thanks, Bruce. Uh, once again, we have three new guests lined up three weeks in a row. Next week, we'll be talking to a, a journalist who's been in the automotive space a very long time, and. He writes about vintage cars and history of cars. Um, his name is Aaron Gold, and we're going to be talking about Canadian cars, which I don't know much about, but I guess uh, he did a he did a very nice story uh, a few weeks back on uh, the history and what's going on in the Canadian automotive um, manufacturing world. And then after that, we're going to be back in the EV world and car subscriptions with um, two more guests. So we have some... Uh, next three weeks, we'll have uh, interesting uh, guests. I think we always have interesting guests, but the next three weeks, we're going to have um, particularly interesting guests. And so I want to remind people to visit my website, theweeklydriver.com. Uh, it's been redone. It's faster. It has more features, a new newsletter. Uh, all of our podcasts are archived, uh, 153, 54, 55 episodes now. The other day, I didn't tell you this, Bruce, the other day I got some traffic from somebody who it was a it was a relative of a guy named um john lamb and john lamb has passed away i found out recently and some of his relatives went back i think he was one of the earliest episodes we did he had written this, uh, his latest book and um, the relatives have gone around and, and passed around our our podcast on the guy and it, it's uh, it's gone through the family and friends of the families and we got some compliments that we had oh, talk, good. What, talked to him. What did he? Uh, what did he write? Gosh, now I'm kind of embarrassed. I have to go back and find the book, and and I'm going to repost it. Um, I remember the name with a, with a little memoriam uh, on him because uh, somebody had contacted me and told me about his passing. Uh, so um, it was nice to see that the family had found it. You know, three years ago, a podcast we did this, and uh, and it was on the social media outlets, Facebook, and so pe- a couple of people con- uh, said, "Nice job." a nice memory of our friend or our relative and and so um it's nice that somebody had found a, the podcast from it three was years good. ago we did a good job it wasn't job. our normal hack job okay. no you know we did we, yeah we didn't uh, it wasn't our normal hack job uh well thanks again uh come back and join us next week uh this is james Rea, uh bruce we're gonna go out and get some lunch i guess Let's go. and uh, we'll see you next week everybody bye now bye now